sugar, number one, public enemy. I can't, I can't say enough about it. You're seeing all these documentaries, these films about it, because it is probably the most detrimental poison we have today that we can avoid. It's completely avoidable, which there's so many different toxins in the environment and our food. Here's one thing we can clearly avoid. Why don't we do that? I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Sanjay Raja, who is a kids nutrition expert. So Sanjay is an old friend of mine, and he's having a bit of a career renaissance right now in this kid's nutrition expert role. So Sanjay used to be an athlete, and he has always cared a lot about nutrition for himself and now has kids. And he, while focusing on his own nutrition, realized that he should probably be focusing on the nutrition of his small children as well. So started just really delving into all the research and literature surrounding kids' nutrition and kind of combining that with what he already knew to make his own brand of of kids nutrition advice so he's uh just finishing up writing a book on kids nutrition and today is going to share a lot of good tips with us for feeding your kids so if you got a kid this is a good one for you without further ado here is kids nutrition expert sanjay thanks so much for being on the show Hey, thanks for having me on the show i appreciate it absolutely so why don't you tell us a little bit about your story. I, I know that you were really into nutrition, but what made you get into kids' nutrition? Was it just having kids? Uh, no, it's a great question. Actually, uh, I made a series of lifestyle changes myself when uh, my kids were just first born. And, um, you know, I was walking around probably like 190, 195. And, you know, I, I, I trained a lot. I was part-time weightlifter slash MMA fighter, things like that I was doing. But I just had a lot of injuries, just a lot of inflammation, and I just knew my diet really wasn't dialed in the way I wanted to be. So I really cleaned up my diet and just got educated. And then um, when my kids were born, I kind of had an epiphany, which was, you know, why can't we start early versus later in life? Because I went through a series of, I guess, uh, situations such as being made fun of when I was fat and things like that. And I said, you know what, I want to spare my kids that. So I want to get them started early, get them started fast and make this something that's their normal versus something that it will be a diet later on in life, which ultimately fails. So that's why I did it. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. We grew up in such a different era when everything was, we were a little bit after like the, uh, everything better by science and nutrition era of like TV dinners and stuff like that. But I mean, I still had TV dinners fairly regularly as a kid and, uh, I kind of grew up as a kid in the era of like Doritos Extreme and like everything was trying to be very like X Games-esque and super like neon colored drinks and stuff like that, which in retrospect is probably going to give me uh, liver cancer one day or something like that. Uh, it's I, it's got to be good to to raise a kid now when there's all this awareness about nutrition. Well, you know, it's, it's a sign of the times. There's more education than before out there. And why not use that to our advantage, you know, as... Being a fir- you know a parent now of twins, it's it's a challenge on a daily basis dealing with two little young ones at the same time. But it's also a great opportunity to get them up to speed and look at the mistakes you made in your past and say, you know what, let's see if we can avoid them for them 
And with all the information out there, medical research and just the focus on education and the, you know, the dangers of sugar, you know what, we just got to step up to the plate and take them to the next level faster than what we did as kids. Yeah, absolutely. But does it really matter that much what your kids are eating though? I mean, in terms of like your kid's metabolism, it's going to be just lightning fast. So I, I got to imagine to a certain extent, whatever they throw into their gut is just going to be lit on fire right away and, uh, and their body's going to do away with it. Now that's a good point, but here's, here's the problem. That is there's this belief that when you're young and you're a child, that you should, you should and can eat anything, which I think is false. And we have to change our thinking because there's so much research coming out about sugar. And it's not about fat anymore. You know, it used to be the war on fat, but we should wage the war on sugar now because everything's got so much sugar in it. You know, you're, you're I'm not even talking about just candy bars. I'm talking about everyday foods. You know, we talk about pasta sauce. We talk about ketchup, every everyday items. And what it boils down to is that we don't know exactly the long-term detrimental effects of sugar, but what we do know is that kids are eating sugar at an increasingly alarming rate. My wife is a PA or physician assistant in the ER, and she's seeing type 2 obesity in kids as early as the age of four, which is a huge problem. That okay? is unbelievable. That is absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Absolutely, because she's seeing kids who are putting on diabetes medication as early as four and five years old. She sees kids who come into her ER who she'll look at them and go, are they 16? No, they're five or six. And they weigh ridiculous, you know, basically outside of what they should weigh. And, you know, it's things like this. And plus what I saw in the schools, you know, we interviewed, you know, for our kids to go to, like we have our kids in what's called voluntary v, uh, pre-K or VPK, which prepares them for kindergarten. And I looked at all the menus and what they were feeding the kids were chicken nuggets and all this just garbage. And I said to myself, what, what kind of education are they providing our kids that, um, that would allow them to have the conscience to feed them this, this nonsense? And the answer was they weren't educating our kids. They were just giving them what they could eat because they didn't want to deal with the fact that we have to first, you know, empower children to realize what they're putting in their bodies is very important. Yeah. So, I realize it's so hey. sad, man. It's it's funny, like as as an adult and later in life, your body just can't handle you throwing anything at like to what I was saying about, you know, your kid's metabolism is just going to light the food on fire. And, and that that mindset that, you know, you can throw whatever you want at a kid as you get older it's not so much your metabolism. It's just like the sensitivities of your of your body and your gut and everything that you just can't throw all these things at it anymore. You know, you had to have, you have to have a little bit more of a refined diet if you don't want to have problems with inflammation um, and injuries and stuff like that, that you were talking about for a kid, their bodies are so fresh and, and everything that it, you're not going to see most likely. I mean, that type two thing is incredible, but you're not going to see all these other problems with them. So if you and I were to eat, you know, a, a terrible lunch of fast food and we were to try to go back to work after that, we would be feeling it and we wouldn't be able to focus mm -hmm. really. And we'd have major problems trying to work our jobs after having a terrible lunch for a kid. You're not really going to notice it as much in their focus and stuff like that as you would an adult. That being said, it's still doing the exact same amount of damage internally, you know, to their gut and everything. Um, but I guess you don't see it as much with a child. So there's not as much, as much focus on it, which is very sad. Well, you know, I, where I would kind of put a caveat to what you would say, uh, what, what you just said is that 
you know, the damage food does to our bodies physiologically, absolutely, it's there. But you know what I'm concerned more about is the psychological damage that food does to our bodies because everything contains sugar, high amounts of sugar everywhere. So you think about these kids who basically are at school, they're getting educated, they're eating foods like chicken nuggets with ketchup and ketchup has a lot of sugar and they're getting their desserts and things like that. Now you're asking this kid to go back to school, you know, go back into the class and focus. Tell me, is that hard to focus? Yes, absolutely. Because sugar has such a profound effect on kids at an early age. What I found in our research and working with parents of different children is that it's not the physiological, it's the psychological effects that poor nutrition had that is the most detrimental to kids at that age. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's uh, there are studies that have been done now on giving kids a more whole food diet, like, you know, be that a paleo diet or eating vegetarian <laughs> or, or whatever it is where, you know, you're focused on eating like whole foods and the reduction in uh in like ADD and ADHD and problems like that. I mean, you you stuff a kid full of sugar and then you sit him in a classroom every single day and just tell him to sit still. That's probably not the best thing mentally for that child. Well, think about it this way, and that is there's actually a misconception. And, you know, we've, we've got a book coming out that we put this in there talking about sugar and ADHD. There's a misconception that says that sugar exacerbates ADHD in kids. It's actually not true. That's That's very much not true. What happens is sugar actually increases activity in the pleasure center of the brain for children. And this effect has, has, you know, different, different ways it can, you know, basically exude itself. So what you see is when you have kids who are ADHD and they, they consume sugar, the studies have shown the sugar doesn't really exacerbate the ADHD, but the sugar does do is it creates a dependency. So what happens over time is that the more sugar you consume, the more receptors in your brain get formed. And over time, you need twice as much sugar to get the same amount of feeling of feeling good. So we have these opiate receptors in our brain and kids are very susceptible to this. And one interesting study I found was that the body reacts to sugar in the brain just the exact same way a heroin addict reacts to when injecting heroin. Yeah. Exact same. Absolutely. When they did brain brain studies. So what happens is not only just sugar, but it's just the ingredients, like the chemicals we put in our foods, you know, that are specifically des- designed for kids because they're fun, they're colorful, and they'll eat it. Well, at the end of the day, there's so many new studies out there showing the detrimental effects of not just sugar, but all the other chemicals that are put in there to make these things more marketable for kids. Yeah. I mean, part of that, any of us as adults can kind of see, I, I mean, I, 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 for a while, um, ate, ate paleo and really clean. And I was astounded at how, how rarely I would become really hungry and, and like, and the, uh, the, crazy drive for food that i would have just you know kind of um subsided and i your your analogy of a of a heroin addict and you know using those opiate receptors in the brain with with sugar is like the more the more sugar the more refined carbohydrates that you're eating the more that a part of your body is just waiting just waiting for that you know to feel that exact same sensation again so you uh you're just getting these crazy uh binges of hunger throughout the day Absolutely. Well, think about my perfect example I tell the parents and clients all the time is the McDonald's, the McDonald's cheeseburger. Okay. So 
there's so many levels of addiction here. It, it's, it's hard to count, but here's the three main levels of addiction right here. The, the burger is high in fat. So you have fat, which basically provides a sense of, of satiety and release, uh, releases you know, chemicals in the brain so you feel good. Then you have the ketchup, which is sugary. That also adds to it. And then you have the cheese, which is made from milk, and milk contains casein. And casein has the same effect on the brain as feeling good as when dopamine is released into the brain's pleasure center. So you have this many things going on in your brain. It's no, no wonder that kids love McDonald's cheeseburgers because I was a victim of that when I first moved to this country. Yeah, totally, man. So what about people that say, my kid is just a total asshole. There's no way that I could <laughs> give him healthy food. He's going to flip out and he's, he's already really crappy as is. And he's just going to be even worse if I try to give him healthy food. Well, you know, it's a couple of, it's a couple of things going on there. Number one, how old is the kid? Because what we found in our studies and we found in our research is that the formative years of where kids develop their palates is from one to five years old. I mean, it starts that early. So when I talk to parents about this, they're like, they're like, well, you know, once they can make their own choices, that's why I wanted to educate them. Well, it's kind of almost too late at that point. That's why I tell parents is I started with my kids very early for a reason, because they will listen to you. There's one meal in the house. We're eating it. And you know what? No other point in their life. Can you say that to kids, especially when they get older, because they want to make their own choices and, you know, they are their own person. But for those parents who are like, well, I can't get my kids to do this. Well, it also starts by example. I see a lot of parents who eat healthy, but don't feed their kids healthy. Or the most infuriating thing I tell my wife is when I go to a restaurant, they're eating off the healthy menu, but they're, they're ordering food off the kids menu for the kids. Why would you do that? The kids menu is one of the biggest ripoffs there is in the restaurant industry because it's cheap food that's overpriced. It's low in quality. And basically all you're doing is reinforcing that bad behavior. So it starts with parents leading by example, number one. Number two, it's reinforcement. You gotta reinforce with kids about education when it comes to nutrition. We, we talk to our kids about drugs. We talk to our kids about the dangers of, of, of alcohol. Why don't we talk to our kids about the dangers of poor nutrition? Tell me that because you think about it, what are the social stigmas of being fat when you're young? There's a lot, especially now with social media. Now you're getting attacked online for being overweight. You're getting attacked in public in schools. Why would you want to put your child through all those different types of obstacles when you could have that conversation up front and they can avoid having, you know, being ostracized by society because they're overweight? Yeah. Or potentially getting type two diabetes as a child Absolutely. or, you know, something just terrible. Even worse. Yeah, exactly. So how do you make your kids not just totally resent you? <laughs> no, that's a good question. Um, you know, what we did was we created, you know, a step-by-step -step plan for kids of different age groups, uh, you know, from one through four, five through eight, and then eight onwards, you know, the step-by-step -step plan just, it's, it's very basic. It's very simple, but it boils down to really three things. And that is education. Number one, there's so much information out there as far as, you know, start with the basics. For example, if you have a child who's like eight, you know, eight and above age range, okay, I can tell you if you were just to take a log of a week's worth of food and calculate the amount of sugar they eat, they would, you would be surprised as to they probably consume probably about a week's worth of sugar in probably two days or less, okay. The 
FDA, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, the World Health Organization. Nobody totally agrees on the amount of sugar, excess sugar kids should have. But what they do agree on is for children, keep it in that six to nine teaspoon range. Now we're talking teaspoons of excess sugar, okay? So that's, if you look at teaspoons by a gram of sugar, that's equivalent to about one gram is one sugar cube. So you're looking at six sugar cubes of excess sugar they should have in a day. And we blow past that, especially when you drink a soda. It's gone. I mean, you've blown your intake of sugar. Oh, yeah, so man. A bottle of Gatorade has got like 48 grams of sugar in it or something. Absolutely. So what we tell parents is, listen, take an inventory of what your child's eating in a week and multiply it times four. Look at that sugar intake. And what, you're, what the goal should be is to reduce it by 30%. If you do a reduction of 30% in a four-week period, you will see profound effects not only in their behavior, their focus, but physiologically, like we talked about, kids have a fast metabolism. Trust me, you will see that. My son is four and a half years old. That, that boy wakes up with an eight pack and I'm jealous. Way, so. <laughs> so basically really try to make a parent for your children what the benefits are and the good things that they're going to be getting out of this. And that should hopefully keep them from hating you. You know, and that's the thing. We, we need to be able to talk to kids like adults and, and, you know, tell them this is why we're doing it for this reason. I remember my parents told me I'm doing this just because, and I could, I, I remember just being so angry going when somebody tells me you have to do this just because that's no real reason to do it. But when we give them the real reasons why, and we work with them and you know, if you do it together as a family, that's what I found to be most successful. Parents and everybody are trying to lose weight. Why not involve your kids? Do it as a family. Like as a family, we go to the gym and we work out together. We also eat together. You know, one of the biggest the biggest challenges now is getting everybody at the dinner table at the same time. And one of our focus points when we talk to clients is, hey, if you were just to have one or two meals together for dinner time in a week, that makes such a profound effect on basically bonding with your child, number one, talking to them, because you'll have their attention, assuming everybody puts down their, their handheld device. But uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to just being an active part because we have that talk about sex premarital sex, have that talk about drugs. We have to have that talk about nutrition because we eat every day, every day. It affects us in every way, shape or form. And that should be just as important as those other two talks. Yeah, definitely. Certainly, man. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you and I must have had almost the exact same parents because uh, I I was fortunate enough that my uh, my mom had us eating very healthy as children, and we I would always come to school with natural fruit, fruit juice as opposed to um, you know like Capri Sun or something like that. And I was always so angry that I didn't get Capri Sun, and I was like the only kid that didn't get Capri Sun. And I would always ask my mom, like, but why, but why? And it'd always just be like, because, or like, because I'm your mom, that's why. And like, I make the rules. And it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe if my mom had said like, because you're going to end up like that fat kid over there if you drink Capri Sun every day, I'd be like, oh, dang, I don't want that to happen, you know? So, uh, so I should probably stick with the whole fruit juice. Well, here's the thing you know, that you bring up another good point, and that is the term organic or whole fruit juice. Well, that's a misnomer because at the end of the day, your body doesn't know where it can't it can't differentiate where the sugar is coming from from a Capri Sun, which may have more white sugar versus a natural fruit juice, which comes from natural sugar. Sugar is sugar at the end of the day. So you have to be cognizant, aware, and say, okay, let's take a look. Maybe I don't need to be drinking fruit juice 
all day. How about some water? How about some fruit infused water that you can get that sugary taste, but not all that sugar. So that's another thing we talk about is do not be misled by the term organic. Do not be misled by the term natural because at the end of the day, sugar is sugar and your body doesn't know the difference. Yeah. You cannot be, could not be more right, man. So I have got some questions here that, uh, that some moms sent in since I myself am not a parent. I wanted to get some, ah, uh, some questions good. to ask you. So, yeah. uh, question one, how bad is it that my kid will only eat processed meats? um well you think about what kind of processed meats you're feeding them that is most of the chicken and pork products have nitrates in them which are preservatives high salt content the other danger we're we're dealing with is not high sugar content so much as high salt in our processed meats we don't know where that meat's coming from and let me add one more scary factor to the mix now processed meats like that for the most part we don't know where they come from And guess what? Congress just passed a law saying now it's not required by the meat manufacturers to tell you where their meat is coming from. That law just passed. It went right under the radar. I saw that. I just don't. It's like I I can't even begin to understand how our government is our government. Like like the the idea that things like that can get passed. Like who could possibly be for that other than the processed meat industry? Like, like nobody, right? There has to be 0% of America that's for that. And yet somehow <laughs> dollars speak more than the actual, you know, voters in the country is so yeah, sad. But without getting off track. Yeah, completely, sorry. <laughs> I mean, the food, the food, the food industry has a lot, a lot more powerful lobby than the oil and gas. I mean, they control a lot of Congress, you know, in so many ways, but to specifically answer this question, I would tell you, not only are processed meats dangerous in the ways they are processed, because we don't know what hormones, what antibiotics they're using. We don't know what kind of GMO feed they're feeding the animal. We don't know how the animal's slaughtered, what the facility conditions are. Now add to the fact we don't know where it's even coming from. So that 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 takes it to a whole new level. So And I would say add advice- to that that we don't know yet what the full repercussions and ramifications of any of these things are yet. I mean, there are certain things that we do see in society, like we know that autism has been skyrocket you know, the, the incidence of autism has been skyrocketing over the past thirty years, and yet we still don't know why. And there's yeah. all these other problems that are occurring for people health wise and starting out as children that are having skyrocketing incidences and we don't know why. Um, who knows? Maybe it could be nitrates. Maybe, you know, any of those things that you just talked about with processed meats, you don't know that it could be any of those. So I guess why not just keep them all away from your child? And, and you know, it comes also down to socioeconomic economic decisions, you know, because not all of us can afford to go to Whole Foods, which I like to call Whole Paycheck, and give them our paycheck to eat organic meat all day. You know, it's tough to do it. I mean, so what it comes down to is just making just informed decisions, you know. Absolutely, man. So you mentioned the, the whole paycheck thing. That was something that I wanted to get to later on. But what are... I mean, you just went over a little bit of it. But I guess what are some of your recommendations for people... Um, money-wise? And how exactly do you manage the cost of healthy eating, especially as a parent, when now you're not only doing managing the cost of healthy eating for you, but you're managing the cost of eating for your children as well? Absolutely. That's a great question because, you know, we look at it and we say Whole Foods is a great convenience store to go to because they've got all this organic stuff and the largest organic food retailer in the country. But there's also a backstory behind it. And that is they're also being sued for price gouging. There's so many lawsuits against them for raising the prices to ridiculous amounts because they've done such a wonderful job marketing everything as whole, organic, natural. 
which some of their food is, but others, you have to look a little bit deeper and you'll find it's not so much. So what I tell clients is, you know what, like I mentioned before, there are other ways you can try to eat healthy. For example, we have Publix grocery stores around us here in, in Florida. And you know what, they're getting into this market too. So you can find some organic meats at traditional you know, grocery stores. So if you just have to look around. Also farmer's market, we get our eggs from our local farmer's market. I will not pay Whole Foods $10 for a carton of eggs cause, just because it says cage-free. I'm not going to do that. You can go to farmer's market and get a six dozen eggs for probably the price we would pay for two dozen at, at uh, like a Whole Foods. Yeah. So and look the at farmer's market. It's just night and day. It's, it's absolutely, you yeah. know. Um, there's also organic grocers. You know, there's more mom and pop stores opening up. And I also mentioned like a butcher. If you, you know, meat is a big staple of your diet, you know, look for local butchers because. You know what? It helps support the local economy and you know where the meat's coming from as well. So there's different avenues you can take. You don't have to go to Whole Foods. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. Cost is king. You want to be vigilant because we want to feed our families, but be, you know, cost neutral as much as possible. You have to think. I also tell I also tell clients this, and that is who's telling you you have to have expensive meat at every meal? Who's telling you you have to do that? OK, you don't have to do that. There are alternatives to what you can have that, you know, maybe just as good as meat. So there's so many different food varieties, so many different alternatives. So when the cost of food becomes an issue for a particular family, you have to get creative. And these are different ways to get creative and to, you know, be cost neutral. Yeah. Well, and the good news is as well, I mean, specifically with Whole Foods, since we've talked about them a little bit, it, the last several times I've been there, it really does seem like they're addressing a lot of the, the price issues there and everything. And I know, I mean, maybe that's also due to the proliferation of this health food movement. Obviously, as, as more manufacturers get in the game, these things are going to are just going to become cheaper and cheaper. So you mentioned organic and then GMO and stuff like that. And as well, there's been so many different diets over the years that have become popular. What do you think are kind of the underlying themes to all of these different movements? And what are the most important things for us to look out for when we go shopping at a grocery store? Yeah. So the, re- the rule of thumb, like I said before, is when you go to the grocery store to go shopping, and that is try to find foods with the least amount of ingredients uh, the least amount of sugar, because what we're seeing a lot is a lot of sugar into foods to make it savory, to make, give it consistency and texture and thickness. So it looks like we have a lot more than we actually have. So when you, my rule of thumb is when I go shopping, I always try to get a wide variety of colorful vegetables, you know, reds, yellows, greens, purples, you know, rule of thumb is like purple foods help to increase longevity. Green foods are good for detoxing. Yellow foods are good for your joints and your ligaments, and red foods are good for your muscle and blood. So that's kind of a rule of thumb you can Dude, use. Dude, I love for, that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the kind of analogy we make, and it, it's very true. So when you're buying fruits and vegetables, think along of those of those terms, and you know what? It makes shopping that much easier. That's a great way to just kind of think of when you're buying produce, what am I getting out of these typical fruits and vegetables? And the rule of thumb is always have a rainbow on your plate. That's what we always tell clients. (laughs) Definitely, man. If nothing else, it'll make a better Instagram photo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So long as you're on the lookout for the, the sugar content, and I'd guess just the number of things that are in something that should 
pretty take pretty much take care of most of it. I uh, something I think about a lot now. I, I think the jury for me is still out on whether or not uh, how like sensitive my particular body is to to gluten. But I notice if I'm at like a major um, a major uh, grocery market chain. And I go and I look at the gluten-free bread that they have. The gluten-free bread that they have has probably like 37 different ingredients in it to make a gluten-free bread. <laughs> Meanwhile, there'd yeah. be some like local baker that will make a bread with three or four ingredients in it. And But, you know, one of those ingredients will, will be wheat and it'll have the protein, so it'll have gluten. You're probably better off having the four-ingredient bread with gluten in it than the 27-ingredient gluten-free bread. Absolutely. You know, one of the best analogies I can make is Remember the big uh, to-do about the pink slime in Subway's bread? Well, guess what? <laughs> People came back and said, oh, this is the reason why I feel horrible. You know, you know what? They've been putting that pink slime in your bread for a long time until somebody finally caught them in the act. So how long have you been eating that? Well, same thing goes with gluten. How long have you been eating that? Our parents survived. We survived as kids. We really did. But it's the litany of ingredients we can't pronounce. We don't know what they are. That's probably what's doing that to us. Totally, because that really is more of a shift in the past decade or so. You know, like when our parents were growing up or even when we were when we were kids, there was probably a lot less of a laundry list of ingredients going into making these things. But every year they got to find out ways to make it cheaper and to make it more shelf stable. And, you know, each each year that goes by, another ingredient gets added to the list to to make it, uh, you know, meet those two requirements. And, you know, it's all about convenience because. Who wants to go to a baker, a bakery to get bread, a butcher to get meat, and then to a farmer's market of vegetables? Who has time for that? It's all about convenience. And if everything's located in one building, you're willing to give up, uh, you know, reading the label because it's easy, it's, it's accessible, and you make one trip. I digressed a long time ago away from the uh, the mom questions that I have submitted, but let me uh, let me get back to them really quick. So sure. Um, Realistically, how many servings of fruits and veggies should my kid be getting? Well, that's that's a good question because you have to look at the components of fruits and vegetables, and that is we want the fiber. Fiber is key because uh, you know fiber helps with, especially with kids who have issues. I've seen this all the time with elimination. You know, fiber is key to help them not feel afraid of going to the bathroom. And we've seen that where kids are just so afraid to go to the bathroom because they're not getting enough fiber in their diet, you know, and that could be done through fruits and vegetables and get the natural sugars through fruits and vegetables. So to answer the question specifically, you know, we try to have fruit for breakfast, a little bit after lunch and a little bit for dinner. So we try to really focus on the green leafy vegetables for dinner and then maybe a little bit of fruit on, at the end to top it off. But for lunch, a little treat for them is having a little bit of berries or having some strawberries, things like that. So basically, just try to have a fruits and vegetables, you know, mixed throughout the three meals a day, which at the end of the day, we should walk away from the three squares a day and kind of do smaller meals a day. But if you can only do three meals a day, breakfast is a great time to incorporate the fruits and veggies into a great smoothie. We do kale, we do bananas, we do strawberries into a smoothie and the kids love it, you know, for breakfast, for lunch, an apple is great if they have a salad. You know what? Salads are awesome. Spinach, arugula, spring mix, something nice, leafy. And then for dinner, you know, we try to introduce a lot of vegetables during dinner time because you don't want them to go to bed with a full stomach, you know, with a giant carbohydrate laden meal. You know, have veggies because the next morning it makes elimination a lot easier, which helps out parents because basically if they can get 
their kids to be regular on a regular cycle. Kids are more apt to eat when they see colorful foods on their plate because you want to make it fun for them. So it's very simple. And that is just mix it up, show variety. Where I hear parents say, I've got picky kids because you've been feeding them the same thing over and over and over. And that's what they're used to. And when you deviate from that, that's when they get picky. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in a long time ago, you mentioned uh, that, you know, that, that time from like when they're born to about five years old being such an important time um, in developing their taste profile. I would imagine almost even more than that, it's developing the psychological profile of being someone who was willing to, to eat adventurous things and, um, and to eat your vegetables and stuff like that. Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you uh, brought up that point because what we did to set our kids up for success is instead of buying that Gerber baby food when they were not eating solids, when they were just young, what my wife did was she would take different fruits and vegetables, blend them up into different combinations. Like one day she would feed them avocado and banana. One day she would feed them radishes and strawberries. And she put all these different flavor combinations together. It's cheap. It's effective. It doesn't take long and there's no preservatives. And guess what? When my kids got older, they already had that taste profile to remember from when they were kids. So getting them to eat vegetables required zero, zero uh, effort for us. Wow. So it created that flavor profile. And then when they ate solid, they're like, wow, I remember this flavor, only it's in solid form, yeah. which, is, which worked out even better for them. So, you know, parents are always concerned about, you know, I'm so, I'm so concerned about the preservatives in my baby food. Guess what? You can make your own. It was three times cheaper for us to make our own, less preservatives. And guess what? My kids eat anything and everything. And when we show this trick to clients, I've gotten a lot of great success stories saying, hey, they love this. When they kind of progress throughout the years and they're eating solid food, my kid remembers the taste of broccoli and he doesn't hate, he doesn't hate it. He likes it because your taste buds, those flavor profiles are developed in that age range. And once you set the, set the standard, the rest of the work is already done for you. Man, that is great advice. And I bet there's a lot of parents listening to this whose kids are not babies anymore that wish that they could go back in time and have done that. That's great. <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, I, I think being adventurous, like you said that too, um, we do that. We try to introduce a new type of cuisine to our kids at least once every two weeks. So recently we went to a South Korean restaurant and my kids didn't know anything about kimchi. They know about it now and they cannot get enough of it. So, man, what a great thing for your kids to be eating a lot of. Absolutely. You know, and and that's the thing that is be adventurous with your kids. You know, we tried to introduce a new cuisine, a new dish to them every couple of weeks because just like us, we get bored of the same food over and over. It's an adventure. Kids are always learning. So, you know what? When they're during this formative years of one through five, this is that golden opportunity. I can't even harp on this enough about take advantage. They will listen to you. They will follow your lead. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you order lamb, you know, at a Greek place, give them the same thing because they will eat it. If they see you do it, you are their mentor. You are their role model. Take advantage of that because later in life, it's so much harder to break that habit. Yeah, definitely. Kind of make it like a, like a cool thing that you're letting them in on. You know, every, every young kid wants to be kind of like the older kids, you know, so it's, uh, it's kind of letting them, letting them in on the big kid life. And there's no such thing, no such thing as the kids menu. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, So how about the order of importance of exercise versus diet? Is there an order of importance there? Absolutely. You know, I, you know, we tell our adult clients and we tell our, our 
clients who have kids, the, we break it down to 60, 30, 10, 60% of it's diet. 30% is exercise. 10% is sleep. Okay. So we can't, you know, each one plays a critical role, especially for children. Why is diet taking precedence over exercise? Because diet, we eat every day. We don't exercise every day, but we eat every day. We have to eat every day in order to live. We don't have to exercise every day in order to function. It makes life easier, but we don't have to do it every day. Yeah. So your, your diet affects everything you do. So if you're in school, if you're on vacation and you don't have time to exercise, well, guess what? If your diet is in check, it's clean, you will stay focused and fit. You won't pack on 10 pounds of muscle, but you will be focused and fit. That's why diet takes 60% of importance. Exercise. Exercise is key because you'll, you'll take that good metabolism you built for yourself through diet and you'll take it to a whole new gear when you add the exercise component. So if you have that chocolate pie, you have that chocolate cake, whatever, you know what? You'll burn it right off because your metabolism is firing. It's geared up to process that food. So exercise is really important in that sense. And then sleep, especially for kids. Sleep is so important. That's where brain development comes into play. You know, especially for young kids, one through six, you know, we're taking naps. You know, that's that time for them to basically regenerate, you know, basically any, any sort of damage in their body. That's when our body starts to heal. But sleep is so important for cognitive function, makes them focus. And, you know, one of the number one things I see with parents is that they say, oh, my kid doesn't sleep. And there's... There is a rule of thumb we tell parents, sleep begets sleep. What that means is that parents like to basically keep their kids up late so they can put them to bed. Well, the kid won't sleep. No, we put our kids down for bed. They get a nap. We put them down for bed and they don't wake up because sleep begets sleep. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a, uh, what is that? Newton's third law or something? An object at rest stays at rest? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's so important because that sleep component people forget. And as adults, you know, you can burn fat and calories in your sleep if your diet's clean. Yeah. So let's try to sum up some of this info for people uh, at the at the end of this episode. So in the in terms of order of importance, let's talk about um, some of the things. It sounds like a lot of these things overlap for kids and adults. So in terms of order of importance, some uh, some key terms like calories, carbs, sugar, fat, Mm -hmm organic and whole food. Yeah. So if you think about it in those terms, I would say sugar, number one, public enemy is, um, I can't, I can't say enough about it. You're seeing all these documentaries, these films about it because it is the largest, it is probably the most detrimental poison we have today that we can avoid. It's completely avoidable, which, you know, there's so many different toxins in the environment and our food Here's one thing we can clearly avoid. Why don't we do that? So sugar, you want to limit the intake of sugar. The FDA just released their new food guidelines just recently. And guess what? They finally acknowledged you should limit excess sugars. They finally said it. They haven't said it for 10 years, but they finally said it now. That's great. In 20, 2015, 2016, finally <laughs> saying it. Exactly. But they didn't give a number either, though. That's the next step. Um, but, you know, I would say sugar is number one. Number two. Don't be afraid of carbs. You know, everybody's like, I want to do this paleo diet. Well, there's a new study we published on our website that showed the paleo diet might be very detrimental to your health because carbs are good for brain development for children. Where do you get your carbs? Have it at breakfast. Have hot cereal, not sugary cereal. Have some oatmeal. Have English muffin. Have some whole wheat toast. Carbs are essential for brain development. 
And carbs get such a bad rap. They shouldn't. And you know what? Your kids, if they have complex carbs, will less likely to crave simple carbs, which are simple sugars. So I would say sugar, having carbs, and then it's all about education in terms of have a variety of food available to them. Kids get bored just like we do. And why is it that we are always trying to look, you know, parents are always trying to say, I want to eat healthy. I want to detox. And guess what? Why wouldn't you do that with your children? Do it at the same time. Okay. Because kids in these years, they develop their personalities, their formative years. They watch what you do. Now, if you're doing something and you're not allowing them to do something, there's a disparity right there. So it's, it's a big deal just about simply saying, hey, we're going to do this together as a family. We're going to eat healthier. We don't have to eat salad every day. We can have a piece of cheesecake now and then. But that brings me to the next point, moderation. I'm not saying eliminate all sugar because that's impossible. Okay, We're talking moderation. So if you have your children trained to the point where they can eat one piece of cake versus going back for seconds and thirds, you're doing really well because later in life, they can have that self-control where they don't have to eat the entire cake, but they can have one piece and feel good about it. Absolutely, man. What are recommendations that you have for people that would like to get um, more involved with nutrition or they, they would want a fitness consultant type of job? <laughs> well, you know what it's about is number one, just I think experimenting on yourself, you know, as far as being a fitness consultant, you know, that's what I did. I, I, I tried different things. I said, hey, this got me results. This didn't get me results. And then once you feel that passionate about it, you know, you know, start start giving, you know, fitness or nutrition advice to those who want it for free and see what kind of results they get. That's how I started. Basically, people would come to me and say, hey, you know, you, you seem like you know what you're doing at the gym and you know what you're doing when you're eating out. Can you kind of share some of those things with me? And I did. And you know what? It just kind of grew and grew. Just word of mouth is kind of built into this thing. And then all of a sudden people are asking me, hey, you need to write a book on this stuff about kids nutrition. I don't know how you do it, but I want to know. And you know what? I never thought I'd write one, but I did. It's almost done. And I'm, I can't believe it's we've gotten to this point. So it's about making it your passion. If it's your passion, I can tell you something, people will be attracted to it. That's, that's just the bottom line. People are attracted to pe- other people who are passionate about what they do. Absolutely. Passion has so much more to do with success in life than any sort of degree or anything like that does. Absolutely. So I agree. You know, it's like, it's like with you, with this podcast. I mean, you were, you, you know, I've known you for a while and uh, you've done some great things with this podcast and I've seen how they evolved as I've been listening and they, they're just, they're amazing. They're very inspirational with the type of people you talk to. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Sanjay, so if people want to get more info from you, where can they find you at? Uh, they could find me a number of places. We're on social media at uh, our Facebook page, Team No Excuses. You can find us at our website at www.teamnoexcusesfitness.com. We have our Twitter account at Team No Excuses SR. And you can also find me um, very soon, hopefully, uh, as we are releasing our first book on kids' nutrition. We've, we've gotten a lot of great buzz about it. And we're hoping to release it probably in the next couple of months. But um, it's been a passion project and uh, we're excited because there's a lot of buzz around it. But uh, we'll, we'll be on TV and radio and just making the rounds. Awesome, man. We'll, uh, we'll definitely add a link to the book when, uh, when that comes out. And we'll put up links to your site and everything else on the, on the show notes on halfhourintern.com. Dude, Sanjay, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. I appreciate the time, Blake. And uh, do some great work, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. 
Hey everyone, it's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.